Welcome back to our true crime podcast, Don't Blame the Mom. I'm Kate. I'm Hannah. Welcome back, guys. Um, what episode are we on? 35. Wow. Oh, my God, I didn't know that. Okay, 35. <laughs> Glad you wrote it down. I didn't. Still haven't got there yet, guys. Sorry about that. But anyway, it's great to be back this week. We've got another um, crazy case coming up. But have you been Irish? Not too bad, thank you um excited so our i know we did mention last week about our interview with kathy barron yeah. but that is officially out now yeah i think i said it was coming out on the monday and actually came out on the tuesday but i don't know where i got that yes you can listen to it on women who sarcast podcast which i believe is available on apple Podcasts and spotify as well so have a listen and um, lovely kathy she's from california she interviewed us about the podcast and about we talk things all through crime and yeah. um and she was really cool and really lovely yeah so definitely if you haven't given a listen go give it a listen and i mean kathy's so cool so you might yeah. want to listen to her podcast too absolutely guys um, so check it really out cool. yeah so how's your week been thus far thus far it has been all oh, right it's going to end now um yeah. but i looked after elvis oh, last you weekend did. he looked after my sister's dog last week I did. He's a little rascal at the moment. When puppies are teething, they just don't stop biting. Not in like a mean way, but obviously they just want to chew everything, including toes and shoes and feet. And I, I said to Kate earlier that he bit me on my, on the bum the other day. <laughs> 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 I went to my sister's house for like, um, she made me dinner, which was lovely. And then she, as soon as I got in, she's like, take your shoes off, otherwise he's going to bite them. And I was like, no, because he's going to bite my toes. That's even worse. And then, um, so I took him off. And then he's went for my feet. So I got on the couch. I lifted my feet up thinking, ha ha, you can't get me now. And he jumped up and he bit me on the bum. <laughs> that is really so funny. <laughs> I was like, you know, puppy teeth are like needles, aren't they? Yeah. I was like, ow, no shit. So I'll be looking forward to when he grows out that phase. So how was he when you looked after him? Um, he was, he was really good, actually. I think he was a little bit, it was his first time. I didn't realize it was his first time ever having a night away from his mom. Oh. I didn't either yeah so I think I don't know when I forget that I rather she told me that day or whatever but he was good I think he was a little bit nervous Aww. like we tried to immediately we went to bring him out for a walk and he was just like not walking yeah kept trying to go back to the house so I had to pick him oh, up bless. and he but then on the way back he did walk and he had a lovely old time on the way back and then I fi- I realized that I would be a terrible parent of a newborn baby why because when we went to bed so obviously we brought his bed up into our bedroom so that you know he wouldn't be mooching around down here on his own so but he was up in the bedroom and he you know like i was just getting so paranoid that he was out and about like at one stage i woke up and i could hear him mooching around the room and i was just like oh my god like He's going what's to be like, chewing. Yeah, what's, what's he, he going to get? Or what would he find that like I haven't picked up off the floor or yeah, something, yeah. you know? Yeah. So course. I got really paranoid and I was like, oh my God, is he is he is he chewing on something? Is he is he choking? Is he choking? <laughs> oh and so then I picked him up and brought him up to the bed with me and I was like checking him and I was like, Are you sure he's not choking? And Sean was like, He is not choking. You've got Aww. to calm down. And then I was like, his his heart rate's really fast. His, oh. his heart is beating really fast. Is he breathing funny? You might be just being paranoid as well because it's someone else's dog. Someone you always else's. get a bit more, you know. Um, definitely because of someone else's. paranoid about it. That was definitely something that I was 
Yeah, you're right, because he yeah. wasn't mine. I was, and because it was the first time I've ever had him for a yeah, night. Yeah, exactly. But no, he was fine and he was really good. And he, you know, he was able to let us know when he needed to go out and stuff, which was good. Oh, that's good. He's getting there then. Almost, yeah. yeah. So then after, yeah, after recording last week, we had a nice little night out. We end up going to my sister Rachel's as well. Let's just talk about all my sisters, shall we? Mm-hmm. Joke. We went to Rachel. She's like, how come I never get a shout out? And I was like, uh, you have. Actually, Kate was like, no, we've definitely given you one. Have we? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've spoken about Rachel I'm, in the I'm past. I'm sure. I'm sure. You see her all the time. You see her more than I do. Yeah. So, yeah. So, hi, Rachel. There's quite a few cases. She was like, when are you going to do this case? So, oh, yeah, she she's has loads desperate. Of cases There's a few cases that she really wants us to do. But, you know, we've got a big, we've got a list as long as, like, this flipping room. So, we've got loads <laughs> of cases to cover and loads of good ones. So, we are we are getting to as many of them as we can, you know, <laughs> squeezing it in as much as we can. Because soon I'll be getting married in less than two weeks and we're still gonna make sure we don't miss a single episode guys because that is uh that's our rule isn't it yeah you know it sure is so we're gonna keep going <laughs> keep on we're gonna going. push on, tr- on through yes so having a cheeky drink this evening guys it is a friday i feel like we've earned it don't definitely a hundred percent we've earned it it's been a long old week now i think we've got a couple of shout outs i know i've definitely got one i want to mm-hmm. say a big hello to Brittany in north carolina God, amazing can't ever do that accent again so she is a big true crime fanatic and um she sent us a really really lovely message and um she's loving the podcast and she's listened to all of them so far which is so nice amazing uh, yeah and she also thank suggest- you yeah she suggested a really interesting case as well which is actually i'm not going to give it away but from a country that we haven't even covered yet and it's a crazy one so i sent you the link to it oh you saw the link to it didn't you you actually did and i already have forgotten mm. my brain power is like <laughs> at zero at the moment well don't worry because i've written it down on the list so you'll see it but um so thank you so much for that um Brittany, and we will definitely be covering that at some point down the line and we do plan to cover some in other countries as well you know we've, we've done canada we've done obviously the states loads uh, we've done some UK, so we are going to try and branch out some as well. But obviously, you know, some Australia. The, we've done Australia. Oh, yeah, we've done Have Australia. we done New Zealand yet? No. They, do you know what? My, my mum from New Zealand, she'd be like, well, there's not really any murders in, in, in New Zealand, <laughs> Hina. Like, she, she thinks nothing bad ever happens. We will prove her wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, there, but I, I, I wouldn't say there's loads of really, really big ones. There's actually a really interesting missing persons case on this island that I've been to. And I, when I was on this island, I didn't know that the place I was drinking at was where this, this, these two, a boy and a girl went missing from. Oh. There's like one lodge there. There's like a bar. And of course that's where I was. So obviously. <laughs> obviously. And I remember reading a book about it when I was back in England. I was like, hang on a minute. I stayed on that island. Like I literally stayed where they went missing from. They've never been found. How so big is the island? do that. Um, oh, I couldn't give you measurements, but uh, it's, it's <laughs> I want exact huge. measurements. I don't think it's huge. Population <laughs> size. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure, but it is very much an island. You had to get like a boat there from like another island. There was like dolphins coming like along, like next to us, like swimming along. It's it's beautiful. Um, there's some like little houses there and stuff, and some oh, lodges. Oh, that that island. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's God called Marlborough Marlborough Sounds. Very good. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll look oh, no, it up. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's called Milford Sounds. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the Marlborough's a pub. Okay. That's up the road from where you live. Yes. <laughs> so there is a famous case there that I find really fascinating. So maybe we can do that one day. But we haven't done New Zealand yet. We'll get there, guys. We'll get there. But anyway, that's me waffling. Have you got any other shout outs? Yes. We have a shout out from the lovely Susan. So oh, she Suze. was really excited <laughs> by our Israel Keys episode. As she, that is someone that she has always found really intriguing. Yeah. So she said it was one of those things where she just found us and suddenly realized that our latest episode was Israel Keys, so it was mm-hmm. meant to be. 
but um, she has been listening and she has sent us lovely messages. So I've asked her as well. I said to her, well, why don't you, if you have anything else you'd like us to cover, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. I think she actually gave, oh, she did. She gave us a shout out today as well. So nice one. We Aww. appreciate that, Susan. Thanks, Susan. That's so nice. We appreciate all of these guys. And yeah, any more suggestions or anything? Throw them our way, guys, because we are ready for them. Always wanting new suggestions. Definitely. Yeah, and we do note them all down, so we'll get to them eventually. Exactly. So um, on that note, I reckon we should jump right into this week's episode, episode 35. Sh- Peach, shall we do a trigger warning? Um, yes, we shall. Go on then. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we shall. Um, take this as your big fat trigger warning. Um, another awful case, as always. So just, yeah, we will... I will give you a trigger a bit later on again, but just that be aware, as always. Yeah, exactly. Um, and all of our sources will be on our show notes. I think a lot of my stuff came from um, the... There's two documentaries, actually. The Murder of Sarah Everard, Everard a Faking It Special, mm-hmm. and Wayne Cousins' Killer in Plain Sight. You've just given the game away now. <laughs> they know what it is. Oh, <laughs> shut up. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay, cool. Cut that. <laughs> We'll say it again in a minute. Yeah, I forget she said that, guys. Um, <laughs> so, on that note, <laughs> it was March the 3rd, 2021. And the world was gripped by a global pandemic, COVID-19. We all remember those awful days. So the City of London had certain COVID lockdown protocols in place at that time. Sadly, one sick, perverted police constable would use these rules to trick and lure his unsuspecting victim into his car and to her death. 33-year-old Sarah Everard left her friend's, her friend's house to walk home when married father of two, Wayne Cousins, who was then aged 48, kidnapped, raped and murdered her after falsely arresting her under the pretense of her breaking COVID rules. By the time she realised what was happening, it was too late. The whole country searched for the missing girl until police zoned in on their suspect and realised Sarah's killer was actually one of their own, Police Constable Wayne Cousins. Sarah's tragic murder unleashed a torrent of anger and led thousands of women to protest for the end of violence against women. It made us all take a closer look at how there was a need to reevaluate what lengths women have to go to in order to stay safe in public places. The uproar also created the now famous hashtag she was just walking home, referring to Sarah's innocent last actions before her life was brutally taken from her. This is episode 35, Killer Cop, Wayne Cousins. Sarah Rosemarie Everard was born in Surrey on the 14th of June, 1987. She was the youngest of three siblings, Katie and James being her older siblings. Her parents were Jeremy and Susan Everard. So Jeremy is an engineer and her mother, Sue, as she is known, was a physiotherapist. Um, her family moved when Sarah was six years old to, the, to York, which is in the north of England, where her father had a job as a professor at the University of York. So Sarah attended Full Ford School, where she was popular amongst her peers. She was described as fun, friendly, loving and kind. She went on to study geography in Durham University, where, again, she was adored amongst her peers. Mm. She was fun-loving and seemed to thrive at university. She made sure to take full advantage of every opportunity university had to offer. 
She was like attending events held by the university. Yeah, very involved in all the social activities and stuff like that. Yeah, she went away on trips organized by the university, like ski trips. Nice. Um, She loved to travel and she actually spent time in South Africa, the US and France during her university years. Well-traveled. Yeah. So when she graduated in 2008, she moved to London to pursue a career in marketing. But she got the travel bug again in 2009 and she traveled much of South America for around a year afterwards. Um, So then after that, she settled again in London to continue her pursuit of a career in marketing. So people who knew her through work often commented on her bright and bubbly personality. Um, It's just a common theme throughout her life, wherever she went. People talked about how kind and generous she was, an amazing amazing friend to so many, it seems. Mm Um, Sarah enjoyed going to music festivals. She was passionate about music and also loved to dance. By the time she was 33 years of age, Sarah was working in her chosen career marketing and living in a flat in Brixton. She was in a loving relationship with her boyfriend, Josh, also 33, and things seemed to be going in a positive direction for her. Sadly, all of this was about to change. And on the evening of the 3rd of March, 2021, At around 9 p.m., Sarah was abducted while she was walking from a friend's house in Clapham Common to the Brixton Hill area where she lived. She'd been seen on a shop CCTV on the way to the friend's house, buying a bottle of wine, looking relaxed, very chilled. Very normal. I mean, we've all, how many, every single girl in England, London can say completely normal part of your, you know, evening, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and I mean, Clapham Common, for maybe those of you who don't know, it's like a really buzzing part of London. Very mm. popular, very, very busy, isn't it? Yeah, lots of things to do. So the Common itself during the summer is busy. Like it's buzzing with people picnicking, having drinks, meeting friends, socializing, mm. lots of local markets in the area. Yeah. It's great nightlife for young people. Yeah. I mean, myself and Hannah would yeah. go out there like to Inferno. We've been there. And... T- yeah. I mean, Capham Common is like, it's like the sort of hubbub of like where kind of... young people want to go. And if you wanted to, yeah. say if you were single, you want to go meet someone, you know, there's always something going on. It's always super busy. So yeah. it's a very, an area that you would completely think that you're going to be safe. Definitely. And as you said, always like, well, I mean, obviously not all the time because of COVID restrictions, yeah. but usually a very vibrant place. Yeah. So at this time, I'm just, at this time in March, 2021, um, in London, we were back in round three of COVID Mm. lockdowns. I mean, God, even the thought of it now. So although the restrictions at this stage were slowly being lifted and we were coming out of our final lockdown, actually, London was like a scene out of 28 days later. It was like a ghost town. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we were still allowed to visit friends if they were in what we called at the time our support bubble. And I think there was maybe a limit how many bubbles you could have, but yeah. you know, like you, there was a, you was a, definitely, you could go and see a few people. You could, but you could only keep it to yeah a certain amount of people. You uh, had to yeah. choose. Um, so it was 9 PM when Sarah sets off from her friend's house and was walking home. Now it was reported that the walk should have taken her 50 minutes, which is roughly about three miles away. So probably just a little bit closer than you and I live together. Yeah. Because um, we were probably just a bit over that. She is believed to have walked across Clapham Common, which didn't have great CCT coverage, but she called her boyfriend Josh on the way and she actually spoke to him for about 15 minutes. And during the conversation, they had agreed that they would meet the next day. Their conversation ended at 9.28 p.m. 
she can be seen on a doorbell camera footage. Um, is that the right way of saying that? Like a ring doorbell? Like a ring doorbell, yeah. something like that, yeah. yeah. So she can be seen on this camera footage, having safely made it through the common and walking down the Ponders Road towards Brixton. So on CCTV, we can see Sarah, um, and she is seen wearing a green rain jacket, a cream beanie hat and earphones, um, a patterned white and navy trousers and a pair of orange and green trainers. So she's quite distinctful because the jacket's quite bright yeah. and the trainers are quite bright. Um, a witness calls police and claims that they saw a girl fitting Sarah Everard's description at about 9.34 p.m. on the evening of March the 8th, but thought that it looked as though she was being arrested. Investigators managed to track down CCTV footage from a bus passing by at the time. So just minute, six minutes after getting off the phone to her boyfriend, Sarah can be seen standing beside a white car with its hazard lights flashing and a man standing with her. After this, it is believed that Sarah was handcuffed and placed into the car, believing she was under arrest for breaking COVID lockdown regulations. Another dash camera footage at 9.37 and 9.38 p.m. shows the same white car and enabled police to get the license plate number from the angle that this dash cam is from. So in this footage, one of the doors of the car is wide open, but the man and the woman cannot be seen. But getting this license plate number was the break that investigators needed in this case. Absolutely. So now Sarah is missing, which her family and friends know is highly unusual. She was a sensible girl. She'd always keep in touch and she'd always let people know what her plans were. You know, she was on the phone to her boyfriend the last time anyone heard from her. That's mm -hmm. just an, another example. Yeah. So to suddenly go off the radar, especially after telling her boyfriend she's en route home, was a massive red flag and a huge concern to everyone, including the police. They started searching for Sarah and out um, and put out articles in the papers and on the news expressing their concern for the missing 33-year-old. They didn't waste any time in this. They weren't like, oh, let us know in a few days. You yeah. know, she might come back. Instantly, they were like, they kind of got an idea of what her character was like and were like, we are already concerned about this. this something is not right. And that was apparent straight away. So police investigating deciphered her phone signal was last picked up near Clarence Avenue, which was halfway between where she left her friend's house and her own house so police put out the description of what sarah's wearing like you said the green jacket you know and mm -hmm. i still remember that picture so clearly because so yeah. it was so like it was everywhere you yeah. know um, um and we'll, we'll put a picture of it on our on our instagram, instagram as well um they put you know description of her height she was five foot four she was blonde she was of slim build and they released that last known cctv of her wearing that and of her in the shop so everyone in the country was just on the lookout sarah's family said in a statement with every day that goes by, we are getting more worried about Sarah. She's always in regular contact with us and her friends, and it's totally out of character for her to disappear like this. We long to see her safe and well. We're desperate for news, and if anyone knows anything about what's happened to her, we urge you to please come forward and speak to the police. No piece of information is too insignificant. And I remember, again, I'm sure you do as well, because this was such a huge missing persons case, seeing her family, you know, um, putting out their statements it was it dominated the news as well mm. um 
So officers were working around the clock to try and find her, but so far to no avail. They were pleading with people to check their dash cam and their doorbell, um, you know, ring footage, whatever it's called. <laughs> ring what doorbell. Is wrong with us? Ring doorbell footage. <laughs> I know, right? Um, from all of the areas that they thought she was last seen in and around. And specialist officers and volunteers from London Search and Rescue carried out searches in the area of Clapham Common and the walking route between Clapham and Brixton, hoping to find any clue that may lead to her safe return. But tragically, that was not to be. The police realised that the route Sarah had taken was pretty well covered by CCTV and was right by a really busy road. And that's the road, I mean, we've been, I've been down that road hundreds of times, thousands of times. It leads you right through Clapham. Right through Clapham, through the heart of Clapham. And like we said, it is a place that, you you, you know, if someone's having a birthday, a lot of times you're going to end up in Clapham or if you want to go to a late night club, you're going to go there. So it's a really, as soon as I saw it on the news, I was like, I know exactly where that road is. It's like, from where I live, it's a 15 minute drive. So it's really, really close. So they realise that she's actually by a busy road. So they would the chances are there was going to be vehicles passing there that might have picked her up on, you know, on their cameras. So as I mentioned, they'd been appealing to anyone with the dash cam um, who would have been in the area around the same time of her disappearance because they knew that route might have been covered by someone on their dash cam. <laughs> as I said, I'm loving these dash cams. <laughs> they, they knew she could have been unknowingly picked up by passers-by or even just anything. They were basically clutching at straws at this point. Luckily, they were right. During their investigation, police had scoured 1,800 hours of CCTV. I mean, this was a painstaking, intense investigation. They find that luckily, there is a lot of CCTV and footage coming in that really piques their interest. So like you said, they got the ring doorbell footage that was from 928 on Pointers Road. And then a p- passing police car also handed in dash cam footage of her from just four minutes after that. So there was footage of Sarah in a seemingly verbal exchange with the man as those vehicles passed them, just like you described. But it doesn't Actually stop. chilling, it's isn't it? It's so chilling. And when you watch it, it's just like, you just want to reach in and grab her and be like, mm. no, you know, you want to help her. But it doesn't stop there. Two buses also hand in CCTV showing parts of what now seems to be a potential crime that was unfolding in front of them. At 9.35, it shows Sarah and a man beside a Vauxhall and the second CCTV at 9.38 shows the Vauxhall's number plate. This is when Sarah and the man get into the car as Sarah's handcuffed and driven away as she clearly thought she was being arrested. Mm. What was in fact happening on this footage was a man had stopped her flashed his police warrant badge and falsely arrested her for breaching the COVID guidelines. Back then, obviously, we all know those guidelines. We're all kind of scared of them because they changed all. They changed on a weekly basis. It was really hard so, to keep up with them. Yeah, so, I mean, she probably would have been confused, like we all were. It's like, what are we allowed to do now? What aren't we allowed to do now? Every week, there was, you know, the prime minister would say, right, this is the new lockdown rules. This is not the, you know, it changed so much. So it would be very easy if a policeman stopped you and said, you're breaking it. Even if you knew that you weren't, you you wouldn't be sure if they changed or not. But I think also, and this is kind of the crux of this whole case, isn't it? It all keeps falling back to the fact that we are an inherently, 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 inherently brought up to trust the police, believe the police, and respect the police. Absolutely. And this guy was using that to his oh, completely to his advantage. To his advantage, absolutely. And that is how he could gain control over her and tricked her into his car and then driven away with her. So although Sarah's abductor may have thought he'd pulled off the perfect crime, it was in fact far from it. 
As they set off in his car, he didn't realize the whole journey was tracked using CCTV and ANPR, which we love. Mm. And now police knew the license plate number they were looking for. So they wasted no time in checking where it had headed after abducting Sarah and driving away with her. So I want to talk a little bit about ANPR, which stands for Automatic Number Plate Recognition. I think we've mentioned it before in other episodes, but it's mm, such I can't a, remember. I think it might have been the Joanna Dennehy one. Yeah, I think God's well remembered. Thank you. So it's 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 such an important tool for the police in our in our country, in lots of countries, because it automatically well, I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you exactly <laughs> what. Tell us all about it, Hannah. I'll just sit down, guys, get comfortable. So <laughs> break for a cup of tea, maybe? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So it's a technology that uses optical character recognition on images to read vehicle registration plates to help create vehicle location data. It can use closed circuit television, also known as CCTV, um, and it can use road rule enforcement cameras or cameras specifically designed for the task. So basically any camera footage is usable. As it stands, there's 11,000 cameras which record vehicle movements on the UK roads. Holy moly. Yeah, that read around 60 million number plates on a daily basis. 16 million? Yeah. I was like, how is that possible? How, is that one six or six zero? Six zero. Holy moly. I know. I didn't even know there was that many around, but there we are. So it's used by law enforcement here and in other countries around the world for things like checking if a vehicle is registered or licensed and as a way of cataloging the traffic. So it's 60 million on a daily basis. That's what it says. Okay. Yeah. I had to Google it because I was like, I need to know more about the automatic, you know, license plate things. I'm not letting it go. I'm just, you're really not, are you? (laughs) I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but that's what it says (laughs) online, okay? No, I I like that statistic. I'm taking your word for it. Yeah. So it's also an incredible tool when looking for a missing person last seen getting into a vehicle, as no matter where it's going in the county or the country, those cameras are waiting to pick up that license plate as soon as it's past any other camera, which is amazing. So anyway, now all this footage has given the police the vital leads they need to track down this dangerous man who is responsible for Sarah's sudden disappearance. Using the license plate number, they instantly type it into the system to see what comes up. And what they find is about to shock them all to the core. They find that on the 28th of February, a man named Wayne Cousins had rented a white Vauxhall car with the same license plate number from a vehicle hire company in Dover called Enterprise Rent-A-Car. But what was most unbelievable was that Cousins was one of their very own, a police constable. They immediately start digging into Cousins' movements and records. They discover that at 7 on the 3rd of March, Cousins had finished a 12-hour shift at the US Embassy in London before travelling to Kent to collect his hire car. Police then established he already owned his own car, so why is he renting a hire car when he's got a perfectly good one that he can use? Already it's looking dodgy yeah, AF. Absolutely. Clearly, he's covering his tracks. He didn't want his own car's license plate to be caught on any cameras. So in order to carry out his crime undetected, or so he thought, he drove one he thought couldn't be linked back to him. I mean, considering there's that many cameras, I, he's clearly not that bright. You're a policeman and you think that... They're not going to figure it out. Yeah, with and he rented, car. but he also rented it in his own name. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's really, like he's not really that bright, bright at all. Not at all. So they see that en route, he buys 30 liters of petrol from the Sainsbury's garage. So this just shows he must be planning to do a lot of driving and traveling mm-hmm. whilst in this car. He then travels to London in the hire car. Um, the AMPR cameras catch this rental car driving around Earl's Court for 50 minutes 
and it's also picked up on Battersea Bridge. So this is all in the area nearby Clapham Common. He's yeah. basically circling like a shark. He's basically That's hunting. such a good way to describe it, circling yeah. like a shark. He was going round and round. He's basically prowling and scouring the areas for a victim. It's it's so terrifying because these are all places that we frequent. These are all places that you, you completely think, all oh, these cars are passing you. No one's going to, like, you know, nothing can happen. But unfortunately, Yeah, I'm going to be safe. Yeah. So after arriving in Clapham, he again drove to Earl's Court before going back to Clapham at 9.23 p.m. And that's minutes before the last sighting of Sarah will be caught on the passing bus's CCTV. This also coincided with when Sarah was known to be on the phone to her boyfriend as she walks along Cavendish Road to Poinders Court. And as fate would tragically have it, her path is about to cross that of this sadistic monster. The CCTV picks up on Cousin's car as Sarah is walking home you can see his car is crawling slowly past her. So he's spotted her. Next thing you see is the CCTV from a bus which catches Sarah talking to him. As we said, he's parked up next to her and he seems to be flashing his warrant card. So this is all on camera. Yeah. Now this card gave him the power to question the COVID rules, to question the COVID rule breakers, which was obviously rife at the time. And he actually had been part of a task force yeah, that and was he'd been doing, doing that, that as his job. You so just it, say that. It, yeah, and, and it, gave, well, it, <laughs> it gave him a valid reason to stop and question anyone yeah. he wants with impunity. With impunity, there Hannah. There we go, clang. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what Sarah clearly believed was happening to her. She thinks she's getting arrested. And if that was me, if, if like a policeman stopped me and he's like, oh, you've broken these rules, I would be like, I would absolutely go along with everything they said. Now I wouldn't, but before this I would. But that's the thing because I think, and this is what, uh, you know, when you're out on the road like that, you know, you're not, you don't have protection of being in your home where you can phone the police and say, there's a police yeah. officer at my door or in yeah. your car where same, you've yeah. got a little bit of protection around you. But also you wouldn't think for a second that a policeman, he has a legit badge as well. Yeah. You wouldn't think that he would be doing anything wrong because he's doing this in front of all these passing cars. Yeah. And it's, you know, 9.30 at night. So it's not something that at this moment, anyone, I definitely wouldn't have thought anything of it. And it's only when it's too late that she realizes. Even now though, I think my point is that even now, if you're out and about on the road Mm -hmm. and you're stopped, there's no kind of protection. Like there's nothing that you can put to block you. Like you can't close the front door. You can't close the car door, keep the window rolled up and just quickly call the police and say, I've just been stopped. Can you just check this? No. Because you're no. you're out in the open. They can just grab the phone off you and throw it and exactly. you're done for. You know? Exactly. It's a really, she was in a crappy situation from the start. Of course she was. And you know, who's going to question a policeman who pulls out a badge? No. I mean, you're just not. And it's so scary as well. I mean, she's a, she's a you know, she's a good, um, you know, person. She's a good student. Like, well, she was like, she's a normal girl. So mm. she's not going to be like defiant and be like, no, you're not, I'm not getting in your car. You know, it's just not the norm, is it? So that's how he manages to use his power and authority to tell her what to do. And then he uses that to his advantage to get her in the car and incapacitated. If he wasn't a policeman, he wouldn't have had that warrant card and it would have been a lot harder to lure a victim willingly into his car. He's also carrying his handcuffs, which he uses to further convince Sarah that she's in trouble and she has to go along with what he says. This is when at 9.38, witnesses see the hand- Sarah handcuffed getting into the back of his car as they drive past it. And then cameras all along the route pick up Cousin's car as it travels back to Dover. Once there, he transfers Sarah to his own SEAT car and drives away with her. All of this is captured on cam because 12 minutes later, there is CCTV of him in his very own car as he drives off with her. Between midnight and quarter to one, his cell phone pings near Dover. This is when it's believed something terrible had happened to Sarah. What had actually happened 
which they're about to find out, is that she was brutally raped and murdered by a police constable still actively working on the force. It's unbelievable. Mm. A few hours later, after he'd murdered her, he, he went to a shop and then he treats himself to a hot chocolate with coconut milk and a Bakewell top. That's how, that's how little he, 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 you know, that's how normal he went back into his routine after killing this young girl. And at one service stop, you can see him squeezing his hands together. It's the only outward sign of sort of tension captured on camera in the days after her murder. Other than that, all the footage you see of him in shops, he looks completely normal. Um, an hour later, he travels to Sandwich to dispose of Sarah's mobile and has removed the SIM card using his police knowledge because he knows um, that will hinder the investigation if they can't trace her phone. So that's really cunning. Um, and even more cunning, he calls the vets saying he's worried that their dog has separation anxiety because it keeps scratching them. Yeah. This is because he's now got scratches on his head, which are apparent in his later mugshot after his arrest. Oh, so yeah. he's trying to cover... I had to try to have a, a cover story for why have you got defensive wounds on your head? Why have you got scratches on you? Oh, well, because ask my vet. My dog's got separation anxiety. Yeah. So, so conniving. So when police question... I mean, it's a really stupid story though. Oh, of course it is. I mean, why is the dog going to scratch your head? It's weird. I mean, but it, he is a stupid person, clearly. So when police question a suspect in a crime like this, they're always looking for defensive wounds, defensive wounds on the suspect. Um, and he knows that, you know, he's, he's a policeman. So he's taken a preemptive strike there and he's trying to set up a story. So he's got an explanation for them down the line. So Sarah obviously put up a fight for her life and was defending herself and scratched him, leaving those visible scratches. Bless her. Mm. Like, you know. So six days after she's disappeared, he then continues on his cover up and he resets his phone to factory settings. This is around the exact same time police have finally zoned in on Cousins as their number one suspect. So just 35 minutes after he totally wiped his phone, police arrive on his doorstep at 7.45 and they knock on his door. There is a chance that he'd actually been tipped off that well, this was going to happen. That's the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, because, because it's strange. It's Well, it, the likelihood of him clearing his phone, like he hasn't cleared it already. In six days, he hasn't. And suddenly now, just a cut before the police arrive, somebody tipped him. I mean, who would do that? That dick that gets arrested after excuse my language oh gosh honestly it's awful so it was so strange that he happens to wipe it half an hour before the police bang on his door he could have done it six days ago when he mm. killed her to be honest so i mean there, there must have been must have been a tip off so police are still unaware of what has become of sarah at this point and they need to know if he has kept sarah somewhere and most importantly is she still alive so as police enter Cousins' home, this is all caught on the police body cam footage. So it's available to watch and it's really clear. You can see a shifty looking Cousins. He sits in his armchair at home. He's looking wide eyed, but he's trying to sort of play it cool. And it's a really bizarre scene too, because you can see what looks on the surface like a totally normal family living room. There's children's pictures hanging on the wall. There's sports trophies on the shelf. There's a family cat making himself comfortable in the background. It's a scene that looks the complete opposite of what the police are there for, which is the kidnap of a young woman. So I'm going to play a clip from this arrest as it's really interesting how he tries to take control of the questioning and actually starts questioning them back, like he's trying to gauge what they've got on him and how much they know. Let's talk to you about Sarah. Let me show you a picture. Do you know Sarah? I don't know. Okay. Sarah went missing. Um, I'll show you some pictures of, of, of her on the day. Okay. Sarah went missing um, on Wednesday and her parents obviously and her family are 
really worried about that now. The inquiry that's been conducted so far has led us to come and speak to you about it and to see what we what we know about Sarah, okay? So would you like to do you know where Sarah is? No. Right. Okay. Do you know anything about what happened to her? I know that um, she went missing up in um, London somewhere um, about a week ago or so, uh, just from what I've got on the news. Okay. Have you ever personally met her? No, not personally met her. Have you had any interactions with her at all? No, uh, why would why, why, why I have personal interactions with her? <coughs> well, it's very difficult because I can't go into a lot of the evidence because obviously that would be quite, that's not part of what an urgent interview is, okay? This interview is just about trying to find her. Sure. She's been missing for a while well, I'm, now. I'm sat in handcuffs and what I know her. So you must have something to say that I, I know her. Well, I said, you've been arrested on suspicion of kidnap. And we believe that you've been involved in her disappearance and taking her away from her family. Okay. So we are trying to find her. Obviously, everybody is very worried about her. She's got, you know, parents, she's got a, a you know, she's siblings, she's got a boyfriend. There's a lot of people that care about her. Um, sure. If you've sure. seen her on the news, there are people that, you know, reach out about her. Sure. Out there looking for her every day. And she's missing. And it's our job, our primary job here is to find her and to try and find her safe and well. Okay. You can hear how he actually tries to question them. It's like he's trying to see what they've got on him. And so he can come up with a story that will help him excuse and explain any of the evidence they're about to arrest him with. So after he's gauged a bit of what they know and what he's being arrested for, um, he then comes up with a ridiculous far-fetched story claiming a gang made him kidnap girls as he owed money and so and that he dropped Sarah to someone in a gang and he doesn't know what happened to her after that. It's a complete load of rubbish. He's really clutching, yeah. he's just clutching at straws. But he's not denying that he had something to do with her disappearance. No, and this all happened real quick. Like, there's, yeah. you, you should actually go and watch the body cam footage yeah, absolutely. as well. Yeah, we'll you play a see... clip, but we're not playing the whole thing because it's quite it's about eight minutes long. So, but you can see like how his mind's working. Well, his breathing and stuff like it's really shallow because yeah. you can see he's panicking. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, and he's trying to make things up on the spot. Yeah, hundred percent. So Cousins is handcuffed just like he had done to poor Sarah six days mm. earlier and driven away by his fellow peers and colleagues and taken in to be interviewed. So who was this suspected kidnapper, rapist and murderer hiding behind this police badge? On the surface, Wayne Cousins was, um, you know, a loving family man, a respected police officer, the kind of person who's usually looked up to as a pillar of the community. But below the facade looked the horrific true nature of his character. He was, underneath that professional veneer, a sadistic monster. Cousins was a married father of two, and he'd been with his wife, Elena, for 16 years. They lived in Deal, Kent, at the time of his arrest. He was born in Dover, Kent, in 1972. Growing up, childhood friends said that he loved watching violent movies, and he used to forward films to the fight scenes because he found all the other parts just boring. Yeah, it's a bit scary. It is a bit weird. On one occasion in his youth, he shot a friend with a BB gun. 
Um, he loved violent porn. He'd been accused in the past of an interest in brutal sexual porn. Apparently that friend that he shot, he shot him in quite a delicate area for our male friends. Yeah, it was like and genitalia. So, and when that friend, like I think he really hurt him. Mm. And he, apparently he had like zero remorse. Like he wasn't, he, he actually thought care. it was really funny. Complete lack of empathy and sympathy. Well, just thought it was really funny. So he's just a horrible person. Shows how sadistic he is. Though, yeah, that is sadism. getting pleasure from someone else's pain. pain. Yeah. So he joined the Kent um, Special Constabulary in 2002 and moved to the Civil Nuclear Constabulary in 2011. In June 2015, Wayne had joined Kent Police and worked there as a special constable. This is when he was accused of indecent exposure, which Kent Police allegedly failed to investigate. He was also working as an armed officer with the Civil Nuclear Constabulary, which later said after his arrest, it was never told of any concerns about him. Honestly. I mean, they also did zero checks on him. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm going to literally go into the fact oh, sorry, that, okay, that, that that's not even a thing, that they don't even bother doing checks on police. What, what the hell? It's, I mean, it's just shocking. And all of this only came out after Sarah's yeah. murder. There's actually no mandatory requirement in place for forces to interview applicants, which absolutely blows my mind. And these are forces, which I know we spoke about this, I think even in last week's episode, how um, the police force in England does not have or in the UK do not have guns by you know by nature no like there is a very few special forces that do so he's actually on one of the ones that do exactly he had access to a gun and the right to you know bear arms right to bear arms and it's just insane that nobody checked to see if he had even one thing on his record it is extremely worrying yep and if there was more of an efficient interview process maybe they'd have noticed something wasn't right mm-hmm. especially considering the accusations that had already been made against him they didn't even know about them maybe they'd have seen an indication that underneath his seemingly well put together smart polished veneer there was a dangerous perverted power hungry predator so 3 years before sarah's murder in 2018 Wayne Cousins transfers to the Met Police, even though with that knowledge of him being a flasher, he should never have been allowed to transfer. They still didn't make that connection. And it was he was able to continue working as a policeman with a police badge. Perhaps had he been looking into, into properly, or he'd been looked, looked into, into properly yeah. and vetted, he'd not have been given that role. But alas, he is recruited into an elite unit. So he was working as a police constable and firearms officer at the time of Sarah's murder. Apparently, the Met Police needed officers who had firearm experience yeah. at that time. So they were rushing officers in from other police forces without looking into their background, without checking their records, and without any sort of vetting system in place. Meaning, Cousins' previous flashing incidents, which had been reported to police, um, they went wholly unnoticed, and he slipped under the radar. He wasn't even on their radar. The point is, no one was checking him at all. They didn't bother. So who knows how many other officers with serious complaints against them were on the force at that time. He actually served in a safer neighborhood team. And in February 2020, he was moved to the prestigious Parliamentary and Diplomatic Protection Command. So that's where they're supposed to be protecting people in embassies with guns. And he's supposed to be a protector. But isn't that even like number 10 and stuff as well? Yes, exactly. And he was issued with a license to carry firearms. And he was trusted to offer protection to the embassies all around the capital. That's terrifying. He was, at the time of Sarah's murder, £29,000 in debt, and he had a suggestion of mild depression, but nothing that explains the depraved actions he took. His friends and family later said they were absolutely staggered by what he'd done, having believed he was just a loving family man and a trusted police officer. 
So it goes to show how good he was at leading that double life that we hear so much about in these cases. His actions during the planning and carrying out of his crime also showed the level of premeditation that he'd gone into. Like, for example, buying all that petrol before her murder. It shows his premeditation that he was planning to do a, and, and expecting to do a lot of driving to hunt for someone mm-hmm. to abduct. Like, he was planning to basically do hours of driving. he didn't want to have to use his card he again. He didn't want to use his card, exactly. Cousins bought a packet of hairbands, not for his hair, because he is, you'll see, as bald as the day he was born. But it was actually to use to keep his penis erect after her abduction. Yeah. We find out down the line he did this his due diligence and he did a practice run. So he'd actually driven from his town to London to test the route and the area and try and scope out where the best place was to prowl and to hunt for a victim. So he basically did a bit of like a, a recce. Interestingly, in 2019, he'd bought a plot of land, which was rural wooded land for five grand in cash. So there's just land which is full of just trees and there's no one around it's just desolate and it looks like a place where people dump old fridges and old just you know crap and places to just fly tip why do you think he wanted that land mm-hmm. it's not like the place you'd build a house or anything so did he buy it a couple of years earlier with the tension of disposing of bodies down the line somewhere where no one could go except himself it must have been so terrifying for her because it was the place that she would eventually be found and it is, when you see it, the kind of place you would imagine a killer would take a victim where no one can hear or see you. So four days after his arrest, on 13th of March, Sarah's burnt remains were finally found. And the truth of what happened to her and the terrifying brutality she was subjected to in her fi- final hours became clear. And now, under arrest and about to be charged with her murder, Cousin starts to talk. So after Cousins managed to successfully use his position as a Metropolitan Police Officer and his ruse about breaking COVID rules, he managed to gain Sarah's trust and get her into his car. So he had the carpet, a carpet protector, which he had bought in a local DIY store, I guess. And he had rolled it out in the car, assumedly to avoid Sarah's DNA being found in that car. More premeditation. Yeah. Um, So investigators used the tracking on his phone to see his movements. So he proceeded to drive back to rented car 80 miles to Dover in Kent, where he switched Sarah into his his own car at around 11.30 p.m. Now, she must have been terrified by this stage because she would have known this is all wrong now. Yeah. This isn't right. Um, His phone records show that between 11.53 and 1 a.m., he was in Sibbertswold or Sibbertswold, whatever where here he sexually assaulted Sarah, murdered her by strangulation using his police belt, it is oh taught. Oh my God. Yeah. Now that was all, it's, it's pretty sickening, but that was all determined by the coroners afterwards. Yeah. So at 3.21 a.m., he's seen on CCTV at Holdswood in Ashford. Now this is where he had bought that piece of desolate land mm-hmm. about one year previously. So... This is where he hid Sarah's body. So then at 8.15 a.m. on the 9th of March, this is where he's seen then in that Costa Cafe buying the hot chocolate and the cake. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at 11 a.m., he's seen on CCTV at a BP garage filling a jerry can full of petrol. Mm. So he then makes his way back to Holdswood um, and Cousins moves Sarah's body into an old abandoned fridge which he uses as a hold, basically. Pours all 
trigger warning, pours all of the petrol in on top of her and proceeds to burn her remains. Um, He is seen again on CCTV at a DIY store buying large bags which are used to carry heavy materials for landscaping and things like that. So he uses these bags to move Sarah's remains, which he dumped in the woodland in a woodland stream just 130 meters from the land that he owned. Later that day is when he calls the vet to discuss the dog. Mm-hmm. So that's his little step about trying to make Cover sure. Cover his tracks, try and come up with a story of why he has scratches. Exactly. He even brought his family to that woodland area that he owned. This is the bit that I can't even like deal with. It's so creepy that he's yeah. bringing his children. So he brought his children to where Sarah's body had been discarded by him for just a family day out and so his children could play. Mm. It's like I, he was getting off on knowing that she I know. was nearby. That's what really concerns me about that, which I find extremely disturbing mm. that he was you know that kind of returning to the scene yeah, of the crime 100%. type thing yeah exactly um and i also wondered if he was going backwards and forwards trying to kind of, trying to you know when police were looking into his whereabouts mm. would it be well i go there with the kids all the time type yeah, thing i yeah. don't know i don't know i just thought mm, it's a bit a bit funny so as hannah mentioned on the 10th of march 2021 police find the body of sarah everard in this stream and they have gone there because they are suspicious of um of cousins at this stage so cousins pleaded guilty to the kidnap rape and murder of sarah everard so for the first three months he really didn't say much at all um after that initial body cam footage in his home after that he really didn't say much at all but he does finally plead guilty and then on the 30th of september 2021 Cousins was sentenced to life imprisonment with a whole life order. Now, what does a whole life order mean in the UK? So according to Wikipedia, <laughs> it is the most serious criminal penalty that can be given to a convicted criminal in the UK. The perpetrator will spend the whole of their natural life in prison without the possibility of yeah. parole. So a whole life order can only be given to a perpetrator 21 years and over. And there are less than 60 inmates with whole life tariffs currently in the UK, mm-hmm. which is a tiny number considering there's a population of 67 million or something. Yeah. He is the only police constable to ever receive a sentence like that. Wow. I know. So other lifers are Levi Belfield, which we have done an episode on. He's got two, isn't he? He's got two lifetimes. Episode one. Mm. So that's our, our Levi, which is episode one that you can go back and watch or listen to him. Michael... Adebayo, yes. Hannah, tell us about him. So he, um, well, I can't remember how many years ago it was. Now there was a, I want to say a fusilier, like um, someone who was working in the army, wasn't he? Lee Rigby, yes. and um, he was just doing like patrolling and doing whatever like you're supposed to do with your fusilier. And um, Michael Adebayo, and he had there's another guy as well came with samurai swords and they hacked him to death in the middle of the street, in the middle of the day. Was that during COVID time as well? No, no, it, it was, was way before, before that. Was that. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'd say about 15, 20 years ago now, surely. So Mark Bridger. Mark Bridger is the murderer of April Jones. Yes. Um, That was in, wait, what was that for? Yes, it was a yeah. Maserat. Yeah. And Stephen Port. Stephen Port is the grinder killer. Yeah. And he killed some young men by drugging them. So Hannah's knowledge is just insane, right? 
I literally, I don't know how your brain works, but it's, it's a scary place like in I there. Like I said, I don't know much else. <laughs> it, is, it is scary because I don't know what, what I'm good at. Um, so at his trial, um, he was very subdued. He'd sit with his head down, looking thoroughly depressed. Feeling sorry for himself. Yeah. Um, but Sarah's family got up and they made impact statements. So I'm just going to read out some of the impact mm. statements from the family. So Sarah's father, Jeremy, she he actually said to him, and this is a quote, Mr. Cousins, please look at me. So he wasn't having it. He wasn't having him have his head down. He, did he look at him? He still didn't, did he? I doubt it. Anyway, he said, the impact of what you have done will never end. The horrendous murder of my daughter, Sarah, is in my mind all the time and will be for the rest of my life. A father wants to look after his children and fix everything. And you have deliberately and with premeditation stopped my ability to do that. You murdered our daughter and forever broke the hearts of, of her mother, father, brother, sister, family and her friends. Um, it's just... It's just so, so heartbreaking. These, yeah. these poor people, such a normal family. They should never have to bury their child and especially in such horrific circumstances. And I, I just evil, thought that... You know, so evil. That well, thing did. about, you know, uh, being kind of, and I know this is kind of very um, traditional or maybe very, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but, you know, the, kind of the man in the house type thing. Yeah, where he's course, saying like the, the protector, protector. Yeah. And, you know, you took that away from me. You took my ability to protect away from mm. me. And I just thought that was so sad. Um, Sarah's mother, Susan, stood up in the court and read her impact statement directly to cousins as well. And she said the following. She was my precious little girl, our youngest child. The feeling of loss is so great, it's visceral. And with the sorrow comes waves of panic and not being able to see her again. I can never talk to her, never hold her again, and never more be part of her life. We have kept her dressing gown. It still smells of her, and I hug that instead of her. Our lives will never be the same. We should be a family of five, but now we are four. Her death leaves a yawning chasm of, in our lives that cannot be filled. I yearn for her. I remember all the lovely things about her. She was caring. She was funny. She was clever. She was good at practical things too. She was a beautiful dancer. She was a wonderful daughter. In the evening, at the time she was abducted, I let out a silent scream. Don't get in the car, Sarah. Don't believe him. Run. That actually literally gave me chills. It's so heartbreaking. I actually found this case, and I don't know, maybe is it because we were a similar age or... It was the time when everything was so awful. And it's so a place awful. we go to a lot. It's the a place, trust in the, the road officer. we walked down, mm-hmm. 100%. You know, I just thought this case has got to me this week. Mm. So Cousins, as Hannah mentioned, had, a, had past crimes. So in February 2023, so just this year, he pleaded guilty to three counts of indecent exposure. He was sentenced to a further 19 months imprisonment on top of his whole life tariff. Mm. In November of 2020, he exposed himself and performed a sex act on himself in front of a cyclist in Deal. In February of 2021, Cousins twice exposed himself at a McDonald's. On the second occasion, he pulled up to the McDonald's drive-thru where he was wearing no trousers and exposed himself to a female member of staff working at the payment window. This was all caught on CCTV showing Cousins' car and license plate number. So he was easily identifiable, but as Hannah said, not much was really done about any of it. The police were aware of it and they didn't do anything. And when he moved to the other police force, they didn't even bother to check. That was in his 
thing. Like nobody, nobody looked into it. So he was he was allowed to do that. Freely. So he was also known to seek out the services of sex work- workers, which is an illegal offence in the UK. And he even had the horrendous nickname, the rapist. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it says enough. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I, I, to me, that's not a nickname. If your actually. friends are like, and, and people you work with nickname you the rapist, something's not right. Yeah. You that, know? that would be, yeah. No, you've, you've hit, that's a massive red flag. Um, so his prison life at the moment. So he initially cousins was kept on a high security unit at Her Majesty's Prison of Belmarsh in London. And this is for inmates. This unit is for inmates who have le- a legitimate threat to their lives mm. through others or through self-harm. Right. So according to the Mirror, he was hospitalized twice before his trial with self-inflicted head injuries. Mm. He is now in Her Majesty's Prison, Frankland, also known as Monster Mansion in Durham, where Cousins will be on suicide watch for the duration of his sentence. He will be under constant surveillance via CCTV in his specifically designed cell. But he fucking hates CCTV now. Mm-hmm. It's the bane of his life. Yeah, isn't it just? Cells are, these cells are designed so that the inmates cannot harm themselves. Mm. He will also have to wear a specially designed tear-proof prison uniform for the same reason. Yeah. So other inmates here include Mark Dixie. So he killed Sally Ann Bowman in Croydon back um Around the time when I was about 18, 19. So mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. No, not really. Um, yeah, many years ago. <laughs> Sorry, and she that, was I young... was taking you seriously there yeah, for a second. Like, I was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Because you're, you're you believe anything. I'm, I'm you a would. kind friend. Um, so yeah, Mark Dixie murdered Sally Ann Bowman in Croydon. Um, and she was like just starting out in like a sort of modeling career. And I used to do a little little bit of modeling myself. And it, um, I started around the same time that she did. And I remember that case so well. It was a really horrific murder. That's who Mark Dixie, he was like a chef or something. Okay. And then Michael Adabaleho, he's the one that killed That's Lee, Rigby. Lee Rigby. And David Fuller, the morgue <gasps> monster. Oh my God. David Fuller is is like a real life ghoul. He was arrested maybe like a year or two ago, not long ago, um, for the, the historical murders of some a couple of women in the 80s or 90s, I think it was. The 80s. 80s. And um, and then when they went to arrest him at his house, they found all these like files or hard drives showing him hidden behind hidden his and, and chest taped of drawers, underneath things and, yeah. and all over. And they contained footage and films of him having sex with corpses in the morgue that he worked at. So he is the history's worst um, necrophile, and he had videos of him having sex with a hundred different corpses in the morgue. And the oldest was about 102, and the youngest person was about nine years old. Oh, and, my God. And he videoed it. That's all. actually just he vile. He is vile, and he murdered a couple of people, and he only got arrested a couple of years ago. That's, That's how crazy. He is. He's disgusting. So he and uh, Cousins have actually developed a little friendship, oh. and they're known as the odd couple. I, I mean, I wouldn't even say that's odd. They're both hideous people, so who well, else is going to talk to them, you know? So Peter Sutcliffe was also there until his death in 2020. So that, that it is called Monster Mansion for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, people might know who Peter Sutcliffe is. Yeah, to. the Yorkshire Ripper. Yeah, yeah. Um, just if you wanted to let them know. Exactly. So um, he obviously did apply for appeals. So on Friday, the 29th of July, 2022, Cousins' appeal to reduce his whole life order was dismissed. 
He appealed to have the sentence reduced to a regular life sentence with the potential for a release on license. The judge was having none of it, saying that Cousins only pleaded guilty when he realized there was no other way out. And he also commented on, and quote, their grotesque misuse of Cousins of his position as a police officer and how he used his position of power. And again, this is a quote to facilitate Miss Everett's kidnap, rape and murder. So he was denied all appeals and he will Thank serve God. a whole life tower. Good. So after Sarah's murder, hundreds attended an arranged event at Clapham Common in March after her shocking kidnap and, and obviously murder and his consequent arrest. It was meant to be a vigil, which police feared was going to turn into an anti-police protest. And tensions were so high before the vigil, which had officially been cancelled after the Metropolitan Police refused to give the organisers a permit. And because certain COVID-19 social distancing rules were still in force at the time too, it would also have gone against those rules. But mourners and protesters were determined to go ahead with it anyway. And as hundreds of people streamed into the bandstand, you know, the bandstand on Clapham Common, mm-hmm. like that thing in the middle, um, carrying like flowers and candles. There was like helicopters flying over to keep watch on it. Um, the Met Police who were present and they were trying to safeguard the event they ended up accusing six people of breaking COVID-19 lockdown rules at that vigil. And, but and it all got very heated, it, it got, didn't it? It got crazy. The emotions were what so What date raw. was the vigil on? Um, I didn't actually write the date because I think there was I, a couple, but I know the main one well, was Well, I think crazy. this one was actually when it became public knowledge that, that it, was a it was a police officer yeah. and that's why it, it all kind of hit the roof. It was just after his arrest. Mm. So officers claimed they were branded murderers by those in attendance in what was meant to be a night of remembrance for Sarah and to highlight the safety of women in Britain ended up being a clash between mourners and the police. The evening began in grief and silence, and then it ended in anger and violence. Police trampled flowers and candles laid out in tribute to Sarah as they were trying to maintain control of the heightened raw emotions of the crowd. So they weren't trampling them on purpose. They were trying to contain whilst also being called murderers. I mean, it was you wouldn't want to be a policeman at that time. No. There were so many outraged people that turned up as well. There was a woman breastfeeding a two-month-old baby. She was there protesting. There were protesters in their 70s. Everyone was furious that after so many decades, they still had to speak out against a culture of endemic violence against women. Misogyny. Yeah. On signs, loads of signs just said she was just walking home. Do you remember that was such a big sort of like thing um, at the time of Sarah's murder? Another one said, we are the 97% which is a reference to a recent survey that found almost all British women had endured harassment at some point. Many said they were only determined to come after police had banned the vigil. So some women argued in lieu of a vigil being banned on health and safety COVID laws. They are saying it's dangerous for us to be out as women, regardless of the pandemic. So we wanted to be here regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a minute of silence at the beginning of it in memory of Sarah, though, before it kind of you know got a bit out of hand. So I'm going to give some statistics as well. In the six months after Cousins was arre- was sentenced, more than 1,500 police officers and staff had, were accused of violence against women and girls. 1,600? Yeah. 1,500 police officers and staff were accused of violence against women and girls. 2,715 police officers and staff have been reported for sexual offences in the last five years. 500 police officers and staff have been reported for sexual assault in the last four years. Scarily, 351 of those are still actively serving as police officers. 
police forces can attract and recruit bullies and you know there are some amazing police out there we know that look at colin sutton what a legend he helped catch levi belfield yeah. for example but there are also some who are not doing that job for the right reasons yeah and so we have discussed this we have discussed this this has come up you know time and again and some do join for the wrong reasons because it does mean that being a policeman and you know a person of the law you get given a badge, it gives you a huge amount of power yeah. and status. Mm-hmm. And there are just some bad eggs that are attracted to it for that reason. Some will abuse their power and it gives them a sense of authority um, that they wouldn't normally have. So certainly looking at Cousins, it was clear abuse of case of power for him, abusing his power and his status. And he did use his police badge for that. Um, this case really cast a light on the flawed system that we had in place. Police tried to distance themselves from him after the murder. Cressida Dick, who was, you know, the head of the police, um, yeah. she actually ended up resigning as there were so many protests about ending violence against women. And the emotions nationwide were so raw after the discovery of, of Cousins. Yeah, she did. She actually had to make a formal, well, not have to, but she did make a formal statement. Mm. And she, you know, in that she said that she was horrified that this man used his position of trust to deceive and coerce Sarah. Yeah. And she said his actions are a gross betrayal of everything policing stands for. Well, of course. And I think, you know, that that was actually a quote from her. I, like, I watched that yeah. actually only this morning on the TV. Before she stepped down. But, yeah, before she stepped down. Yeah. But, you know, everything she says there is right. Of course, it is, absolutely. Um, And the thing is, you know, it's with police. It's like, they're supposed to help you, not kill you. Yeah, well... I mean, police... Uh, for me, I mean, I've always been a fan of the police and stuff Same. like that. You know, I'm not someone who's like, oh, pigs when they walk past. Some people no are so way. disrespectful yeah. to in this country. Absolutely I not. feel comfortable and I am I like it on a night out when I see the police are strolling around because it makes me, it gives you a sense of security. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there was someone like Wayne Cousins operating in within the police force is, is something that was just so terrifying for everybody. Yeah. But he's not the only killer cop. And I'm going to give you a few other ones, Kate. Okay. Yes. This isn't a first one this in is England, like, actually, This is like either. the worst statistics ever. Okay, I go. know, I know. Vital statistics, guys. Buckle up. So um, it's not the first one Britain's actually seen because there are a couple of other examples. In the UK, we have good old Dennis Nilsson, a.k.a. Oh, my God. Yep. Okay, but he wasn't a serving officer. So he, in 1972, spent a few months as a junior constable in the police force in London. So for a few months, he was a constable, but at he, a low yeah, level. Yeah, he trained in Hendon, didn't he? We yeah. actually did a case on him, so you can he, go back and listen episode, to that too. Damn it, I can't remember. Maybe, Kate, you could uh, look that up for I'll us. I'll look that up now. So also in the States, of course, United States, I couldn't leave you guys out. We have the infamous killer cop. Who am I going to say? Irish. I think you're going to say Golden State Killer. Yes, Joseph James <laughs> D'Angelo, a.k.a. Eurons, which stands for the East Area Rapist, original Night Stalker. He was also known as the Visalia Ransacker back in the days before he, he was caught. Yeah, he was and, just a bit of everything. Oh, God, everything. Absolutely terrifying person. He, One of my scariest, oh, I think. Oh, 100%. He'd worked as a police officer from 1973 to 76 in the burglary unit in Exeter, California, near Visalia, where he, he was probably bloody investigating attacks. his own flipping burglaries. Well, also from 76 to 79, he worked as a police officer in Auburn, another town near Visalia, and it was only in 79 he was arrested for stealing a hammer and dog repellent and fired from the police department. Now, um, when you think about, in hindsight, what he was stealing, a hammer and dog and repellent, pants, what he was, do you think he was yeah, using that what for? Yeah, he was doing, exactly. So he was actually on duty as a police officer at the time he committed at least one of his crimes, 
Whilst he was on duty, he parked in a church parking lot, then went to his victim's houses on foot and assaulted the couple living there. And he was, as we know now, responsible for killing at least 13 people and raping at least 51 and hundreds and hundreds of burglaries. And those are the only ones that were um, also... Convicted. Yeah, he was convicted of. But there was also a lot that weren't reported because also mm-hmm. in those days, a lot of women didn't report rapes as well. Yeah. Um, Derek Chauvin, a Minneapolis police officer, stood on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes in 2020. And he was sentenced to nearly five years for his role in George Floyd's death. Which brought on the Black Black Lives Matter movement. Absolutely. And in Russia, we have Mikhail Popkov. This notorious Russian serial killer was also a police officer, a really high up one, who used his patrol car and uniform to lure at least 78 women to their deaths. And he confessed to even more. 78? He targeted women who resembled his mum. So he clearly blamed his mum. And would (laughs) attack them with a knife or an axe. He would then rape them, leaving their mutilated bodies in forests throughout the city of Angarsk, um, Siberia. Was this the and... guy who got caught when he put somebody down a well? Yes. I'm pretty sure that's him. Okay. Popkov, yeah. yeah. He was sentenced to life in prison for just 22 murders in the end and two attempted murders. Oh but they're, they're, like, they're pretty sure he did 78. Um, so there have been, I know. So there have been some safety changes. That in the immediate steps aimed at improving safety for women and girls in England and Wales were announced by Number Ten, which is our, you know, where the Prime Minister lives. This was after Sarah Everard's murder. Among them was an additional twenty-five million pounds for better lighting and CCTV. Better lighting, love it, guys. Thanks. <laughs> and CCTV, as well as a pilot scheme which would see plain clothes offices in pubs and clubs. This wasn't so they could go out on the razzle-dazzle cake before you get any ideas. I was just going to say, seriously. They're putting them in clubs so they can go have a great old night. No, <laughs> they're actually doing it so they could rally intelligence about predatory or suspicious offenders to uniformed officers on site. So after these messages, messages, after these measures were met with protests by civilians who claimed this was not enough, so number 10 then doubled the amount that they'd spend on it to £45 million. They called it the Safer Street Fund. Prime Minister at the time, Boris Johnson, good old Bojo, said, ultimately, we must drive out violence against women and girls and make every part of the criminal justice system work to better protect and defend them. And the Home Office said, protecting women and girls is an absolute priority. So, yeah, I mean, we hope it is, guys. And you know what? It just goes to show how how important and what a pivotal role CCTV has played in catching Wayne Cousins within six days of that. Considering he was a police officer and he knows how much of the UK is covered by CCTV, he honestly can't have thought he was going to get away with it. I think the other thing that I thought was really disturbing was that there were actually a numerous um, police, serving police officers who were arrested and imprisoned yeah. after... After it came out what he did. It came out. And there yeah. was um, WhatsApp groups that were, oh. you know, that were really disgusting um, yeah discussing discussing you know issues around consent but discussing them in a way like you know basically just taking the mickey you know yeah and discussing physical abuse in a similar way Mm -hmm. uh really horrible stuff and i know that they say you know being a police officer you know you're they sometimes that they have to kind of use humor in a much darker way just to kind of get through Mm -hmm. what they see day to day and I I can understand that, and I can. Mm-hmm. Rel- I feel we we'll, we have a bit of dark humor, but not we'd never be mean or like. Gross I think some of it was just gross. Like I that. think that's actually yeah, a good word it, it for it. It was it was gross. It was disrespectful. It was despicable, and it was ongoing. 
So there was there was people working in the police force who would have really, once it was uncovered, awful WhatsApp groups about people they were supposed to help, about mm-hmm. victims they were supposed to help, um, and and like they eventually suffered consequences for that. Luckily, but um, it was amazing how quickly that he was tracked down um, on the CCTV. And I just want to give some statistics about CCTV over here. Can't read this number, but there are over 7 million CCTV cameras in the UK, meaning there is one CCTV camera for every 11 people in the UK. So it says 7,371,903 CCTV wow. cameras. Well done. Thank you. I can read. I, there's no numbers. way in hell I could read that, <laughs> literally. So you are likely to be captured on UK CCTV up to 70 times a day at least. And those numbers stood in 2022. So no doubt hell. now in 2023, it's even higher, which I, I'm happy with. I'm happy to be in CCTV all day long. I When people get worried about that, like, oh, it's like being on Big Brother. Who cares? If you're not doing anything wrong, why do yeah. you care? So I thought we had the best CCTV over here. But actually, it's that no we, way. we No, we don't. I think it's more that we have more areas covered because we're a smaller country than some oh, other Oh, yeah. Ones. I mean, the CCTV coverage can it's, be absolutely rubbish. The CCTV coverage isn't... No, but I mean, like, because we, we have way more areas covered as a small country mm-hmm. because it's a small country yeah, yeah, yeah. but we have less cctv than the bigger countries so here's a few statistics i'm gonna i'm gonna leave you with guys okay and that's it i promise so china is the leader in cctv surveillance with four times more cctv cameras than usa china has around 200 million cameras followed by the usa who has 50 million cctv cameras the uk is training behind with our little 7 million cameras so that but is enough for me. We are so much smaller. We are so much smaller and we do manage to have so much covered. So, I mean, we're way smaller than China, way smaller than USA. Yeah. So that's a few statistics for you. And that's how CCTV managed to help capture that horrific police killer, cop killer. Yeah. And I think, you know... Killer cop even. I thought it was really good. And one of those, um, one of the documentaries that I watched, I think it might have been the one on Prime, mm. but they actually put at the end of it that you know like if anyone was affected that the Samaritans are open 24 7 to people who would be affected by things like that and the number is 116123 and I just thought actually that's amazing that I'd say that yeah or you can email joe at samaritans.org and they would be there for you amazing but um the other thing I was going to say I looked up Dennis Nilsson and that's episode 14 there you go guys for those of you who are interested if you want to hear about another killer cop in the UK I swear we don't have just loads of them, okay? There's only two that we can think of. Yeah, I mean, I don't even really think of him as a killer cop. He really was a... Tra- no. Didn't he train? I don't know if he ever really made it any... He, he, was a, he, was, he was a junior constable for a little bit of time. But, I mean, he was definitely linked to the police force. Yeah, he was. So I thought I'd throw him in no, there. No, 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 he was. Absolutely. Do, do go and listen to our double putter on him if you haven't already. But on oh, that yeah, it's note, a really interesting story for yeah, sure. Yeah, I say it's time for us to um, go and relax and have a drink because it's Friday night. What do you say? Friday then... Uh, <laughs> Please don't sing. I beg of you. So if you could have Mute seen it, guys. Hannah's <laughs> eyes when I just did that was like, oh my god, you just sang oh, into god. the microphone. Okay, on Hannah, that cut note, that. On that note, guys. Cut, Harry, cut it. It's, it's, yes, it's, it's time for us to go. So if you um, don't already, please follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And please, please, if you could give us a five star rating, it would help us so much. So we can keep making episodes and more eventually if we can down the line mm-hmm. and um do you drop us a message on our tiktok our twitter our facebook and um instagram instagram as well or drop us an email at don't blame the mom at gmail.com well done other than that guys we'll see you all next week for episode 36 Ciao. Alrighty, bye, bye.